Yeah, I think you can see we are in a new series called It Just Happened. You know, if you were here a couple weeks ago, I was wrapping up our series on um, how to follow the cloud. And I finished the series with uh, scripture from John 9, 1, two, 1 through 5, where we're introduced to a man that was blind from birth. And I wrapped up the last message of the series with that story, and I wanted to kind of jump back into that story from John 9 to kind of lead us into this new series called It Just Happened. So in John 9, we meet there's a blind man who had been blind from birth, and Jesus is with his disciples. And Jesus notices the man. And the disciples quickly say to Jesus, hey, uh, what about that guy over there? He's, been, he, he's blind. And why is he blind? And is it his sin in his life or was it his parents' sin? They want to know why, what's going on with this guy. And it's kind of surprising that their first reaction wasn't, hey, how could we help this guy? Or what could we do for this guy? Instead, their very first reaction was, you know, who did it? What's going on here? It's sort of like they had this little theological riddle that they're trying to solve. Why is this man blind and what happened to him? So the disciples are kind of really focused in on that instead of focusing in on what should we do? Should we show him kindness or should we show him any compassion? So the disciples are all wondering why, and I get it. We're all curious of why. But then Jesus jumps in and he says something that you really didn't expect him to say. He said in John 9, verse 3 in the NIV, Neither this man nor his parents sinned, said Jesus, but this happened so the works of God might be displayed in him. He really didn't give the disciples a real answer of, why it happened. Instead, he tells them, you know, we're really not going to focus on why it happened, but we're going to focus on what God's going to do about it. And I think that's pretty powerful. And you saw in that intro video, Becky used the scripture from the message. And I like how Eugene Peterson says it well. He just says, um, you're asking the wrong question here. You're looking for someone to blame. There's no such cause effect here. Instead, look instead for what God can do. And so during the series, we want to look instead what God can do about a situation. See, sometimes we can perseverate on why something happened. We can get so focused on why something happened that we live in the past and we never live at all in the future of what God wants to do about a situation. So I want to do that in this series. I want us to focus on what can God do about a situation in our life. Maybe we have no idea what caused it, but that's okay. We want to focus on what God can do about it. And so that's kind of the theme of the series. Now I want to be clear here. I'm not saying, hey, let's ignore our past. Let's ignore any obstacles in our life. I'm not saying that at all. I'll be the first one to say, hey, if you got an issue in your past that's holding you back, Let's deal with it. And I think if you are here last week, Lynn and Bobby Snyder did a fabulous job on resentments and unforgiveness and bitterness and how we need to deal with challenges of our past and over to move forward in our future. So we want to focus. You know, we do want to pay attention to things that happen in our past, but we want to focus on what is God going to do about a situation in our life that maybe we don't really, we're not able to explain. Instead of focusing on that, let's focus on what God can do about it. Because it's true, every single one of us here has had challenges in our life. Every one of us has had obstacles in our life. And what Paul tells us to do about challenges and obstacles, he tells us in Ephesians 1 verse 11, he says, God's going to work out everything in conformity with a purpose or his will. That's what Paul says, what we've got to look at obstacles in our life. 
God's going to work it out. And later, Paul says in Romans 8, says pretty much the same thing. He says, we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him and have been called according to his purposes. Paul's simple message is, God's going to work it out for you. So today, as we begin this uh, new series, as we begin this first message of the series, I want to do, uh, my message today is going to be called Dropped But Not Forgotten. See, we all go through our life and with, in life, and we have situations that happen to us that aren't fair. And, you know, I probably don't have to give any illustrations. All of you can probably think for a couple seconds, and you can think of some things in your life that happen that are not unfair. So there's times in our life where other people's behavior can have negative consequences on us. Other people can do something maybe totally unintentional. They didn't mean to harm us or hurt us, but now we're dealing with the reality of somebody uh, harming us or sometimes a person intentionally hurt us. They intentionally did something bad against us and now we're dealing with sh guilt and shame and unforgiveness and resentment. Or sometime in life, there's just things that happen. There's real no explanation for them. You really don't have that good of understanding of why it happened or how it happened. But there's also a fourth category, and that's the category of you did something against somebody else, that you harmed somebody else, or you hurt somebody else, or you injured someone else. And there's times like that that we need to step back and say, okay, what's my responsibility in the situation to make amends? So I don't want to ignore that at all while we're talking about being dropped because sometimes it's easy for us to drop other people and do something to other people that we never should have done. So we want to be aware of that and focus on the need to come to Christ with that kind of issue in our life. But specifically today, I want to talk about when you've been dropped by other people and now you're dealing with the consequences of hurt and pain and anxiety and that can be really difficult. But see, then there's the good news. Then there's the good news of what God's going to do about it. And I love what David says in Psalm 40 because David is able to paint a picture with his words that is very powerful. David says, He drew me up from the pit of destruction, out of the miry bog, and he set my feet on a rock, making my steps secure. That's what David said God's going to do with us if somebody's dropped us. See, other translations will say that he's going to pick you up out of a state of confusion. I think we know what that's like when things happen in our life and we have no idea what's going on. Well, this psalm says God is understands your confusion. He's going to pull you out of it. See, other translations will say turmoil or misery or despair. See, that's what God says he's going to do. He's going to pull you out of that situation. He's going to set you on a rock. In John 5, we read about a story of a man who's been sick for 38 years. We're not exactly sure what's going on with this man in John 5, but we know that he spends his day living by the pool of Bethesda. And the scriptures do tell us that usually laying by that pool of Bethesda were people that were lame or they were blind or they had some physical disability. So that man has been there for 38 years. And we're not really that familiar with what's going on with him, but we know, obviously, he has some significant challenges. And see, the rumor had it that if you laid by that pool of Bethesda, that every once in a while an angel would come and stir up the waters in that pool, and if you were the first one to jump in, you'd be healed. 
That's more of a rumor in the Bible. There's nowhere in the Bible that it really says that exactly did happen. So it's just kind of the kind of legend at the time. If you laid by that pool and you were the first one in when the water stirred, you would be healed. So this man had been laying at that pool for a long time. So Jesus is with his disciples one day, and they're walking by, and Jesus notices this man. And so Jesus walks up to this man who's laying on his mat, and Jesus says to him, Do you want to be healed? It seems kind of like a very insensitive question. Why would you say to a guy who's been laying beside this pool, do you want to be healed? Because it seems like, well, it's rather obvious. Why would he come to this pool every day if he didn't want to be healed? Well, we know Jesus isn't insensitive. So he kind of raises your curiosity. Why would Jesus say, do you want to be healed? See, it's interesting when you look at the man's response. The man didn't say to Jesus, yes, definitely I want to be healed. He didn't say that. Instead, the man said to Jesus, he says, Sir, I have no one to put me in the pool when the water stirred up, and while I am going another step, and while I am going another steps down before me. See what this man does, he goes to Jesus and he gives him excuses of why he's not healed. He doesn't say, I want to be healed. He says, No, I have these excuses why I'm not healed. You know, nobody's gonna help me. Nobody's gonna help me. And sometimes when I'm trying to get help, but I can't get there fast enough. So this man's kind of resigned himself to the condition that he's never going to get well because he just can't do it. He's kind of resigned himself that he's going to be the victim. And he found other people to blame. See, he's having a pool pity party. (laughs) You like that? A pool pity party. I thought more people would laugh. (laughs) <laughs> kind of like, all right, that's kind of boring. Becky thought it was funny in the preview sermon. So you blame the jokes on her if they don't go over well. So anyway, I mean, she heard the preview. If you don't like this message, she had time to edit it. But It's funny. It's good. I know, I'm the victim now. Nobody's laughing at my pool pity party. Everybody's actually here worried how they're going to get out of here. I do see cars moving down Fulton, so there's always the sidewalk. So I think what Jesus was doing, he was actually asking this man a pretty deep question. He was kind of asking this man, he said, are you ready? Are you prepared if I healed you today and you had a different identity? That you would no longer be known as the man with all these challenges, but you are known as a man who no longer have these challenges. Are you willing to exchange that identity for a new identity that God wants to give you? See, the truth is probably all of us do know some people that really don't want to be healed. They kind of enjoy the brokenness. They kind of enjoy uh, their weakness. They enjoy the attention that they do get from their weakness or their challenges in their life, and they kind of crave attention after a while, and you sometimes get attention when you're helpless. See, some people will tell you that they want to be healed, but deep down they kind of ignore paths to restoration in their life. They just kind of ignore them. See, they sometimes like to talk about being healed. They want to ask for prayer to be healed, and they want God to come in their life and change things in their life so that could be healed, 
but sometimes do they want to go through the process of healing or the process of restoration? And that is what I believe the Lord is asking that man. Do you want to go through a process? Are you willing to do your part? Because see, Jesus looks at the man and he doesn't just say to him, be healed instantly. He says to the man, okay, then get up. Get up, pick up your mat and walk. See, Jesus does miracles, but sometimes Jesus in this situation said to this man, okay, you got a little responsibility here too. You got to do something. You can't just sit around on that mat just waiting for someday supernaturally you're going to pop up. But you got to have some faith and trust and confidence in me. You got to get up. And so the man does get up. And the man is able, is healed, and he's restored. But see, I want to make it clear here, too. I don't want anybody to think that I'm presenting a message about, you know, if you are dealing with some kind of issue or if you're not healed, it's a matter of your uh, unbelief or your unwillingness to cooperate with the Lord. See, earlier we read that God does everything in conformity to his will and to his timing. Sometimes things don't happen in our timing, and that doesn't mean God's not doing anything. Sometimes it just might mean it's going to come a little bit later. So I don't want anybody to get here discouraged if something is not happening in your life fast enough. Or get discouraged if you don't see the results that you might be looking for. So now I want to go to 2 Samuel, and I want to look at a man who the Lord restored. He restored everything that was lost in his life. And the man's name is Mephibosheth. The Lord restored things to him, but the Lord never gave him the physical healing that he probably wanted. So in the Second Samuel, we're introduced to this young man named Mephibosheth, and Mephibosheth is the grandson of King Saul and Jonathan. And Mephibosheth was the promised child that someday he would be king of Israel. He was kind of royalty. He had every single thing going for him. He was born in the palace. He lived in the palace. He had a great future, a great education, and he had nurses, and he had a staff of people that were hovering over this child because they wanted to make sure he had everything that he needed because someday he would be king. So he was treated like royalty as a little boy, but everything changed when he turned five years old. See, when he was five years old, his father and his grandfather were in a war in the and they lost. So his father and grandfather were killed. And during the biblical times like that, if the, if the king was killed during a war, the enemy would come and they would kill that king's entire family off. So word got back to the castle, got back to um, the royal family, that the father and the grandfather had been killed. And now the, uh, the enemy's coming and they're not going to kill the rest of the family. So Mephibosheth's uh, staff uh, hears about that, and they're all worried for their life. They know that somebody's going to come, and they're going to kill this boy. And so they're nervous. They're afraid. What are we going to do? So they pick up the little boy, and they run. They're going to go hide. And on the way out of the royal uh, house, they, the nurse was walking down the steps, and she tripped, and she dropped that little boy on the ground, and he broke both of his legs. And from that point on, he never walked again. But the nurse kept carrying that child, and they ran until they got to the city called Lodabar. And Lodabar is probably like the dumpiest city you could possibly end up in. Lodabar actually means wasteland. It means a place where things go that die. 
You don't go to Lodabar to have a productive life. You don't go to Lodabar to have abundant life. You go to Lodabar because you're going to die and you have no hope and you have no confidence and you have no security. And to top it off, the name Mephibosheth means a shameful thing. So this boy who broke his legs at five years old, once lived in the royal family's house, had every single thing going for him, had a life of royalty ahead of him, was sitting in the luxury house, is now living in a place called the wasteland. He's living in a place where nothing grows, nothing develops, nothing matures, nothing good comes out of low debar. And I'm sure while he's in low debar as a little boy, he's probably saying to his nurse, he's saying, why am I here? How did I get here? I want to go back to that royal palace. I want to go back there. How do I get there? And I bet the nurse probably said to him, you know why you're here? It's because of that new king. There's a new king now, and that new king was going to kill our family, so you're stuck here. She probably blamed David. Because logically, you would blame David. But see, I think sometimes those things happen in our life where something, situation in our life happens. A situation goes bad, and you're like, okay, who am I going to blame? And you can't find anybody to blame, so you go and blame God. That's probably the situation this boy was in. Okay, we're, who are we going to blame? Let's blame the king. So David, or so Mephibosheth probably grew up with some resentment against the king because he lived in ignorance. See, it wasn't just a problem that this boy now had no use of his legs. It wasn't just a promise, problem that he lived in a place of isolation, but he lived in ignorance. See, David wasn't mad at Saul's family. David was not mad at Mephibosheth's family. David would have never killed Mephibosheth. But Mephibosheth lived in ignorance because he didn't know about a covenant that his father made with the king. See, David made a promise to Jonathan, who was Mephibosheth's father, and he, David said to him, you know, Jonathan, if anything ever happens to your family, if anything ever happens to you, I'll take care of your family. I'll watch over your family. I'll protect them. I'll give them a place to live, and I'll provide land for them to farm. That was the promise that this child grew up in, but he had no idea of the promise, so he lived in Lodabar. And that was the ignorance, that he had no idea that he did not have to live in a place of shame and disgrace. He could have stayed at that palace the entire time. He never had to leave. But see, sometimes things in our life go wrong because of ignorance. We have no idea what God wants to do in our life. But see, this is a good thing about God. He knows about our ignorance. He knows that we don't know about the future he has planned for us. See, nothing goes unnoticed by God. He was aware that Mephibosheth's father died, and his grandfather died. He's aware that he got dropped. And God was aware that this little boy was living, or now he was a man, living in a place of a wasteland. So God doesn't come on scene and say, okay, now I'm going to figure out whose fault this is. Who did it? Who's responsible? Instead, God comes in, and I'm going to say the words that Isaiah says because I think they're so powerful. Isaiah says, God would say, Behold, I have engraved you on the palm of my hands. Your walls are continually before me. And that's what God says to every broken person. Your name is on my hand, and you're continually before me.
See, when God said your walls are continually before me, he means your security, your shelter, your confidence. And God knew when he looked at Mephibosheth that his walls were broken. And God says, no, I want to come into that situation. I want to come into that situation. I want to give you hope, and I want to give you healing. I want to give you restoration. So in 2 Samuel uh, verse 9, or 9 verse 3, David said to one of his servants, Is there anyone left from the house of Saul that I might show my kindness to? See, David knew the covenant that he made with, with Jonathan. He knew that he promised to take care of all Jonathan's descendants. So David, being the good king, said, I wonder if there's anybody that I can show my kindness to that's left in Saul's family. And that's what God does when he comes to us. He says, how can I show my kindness to you? Because of the covenant God made. How can I show you my kindness? So King David sends out his staff and he says, okay, see if you can go find somebody. And the staff comes back to them, and they say to David, Yay, we found somebody. We found Jonathan had a son. His name is Mephibosheth. But the first thing that they say to David is, But he has a disability. He can't walk. Sort of probably saying, Yeah, we found someone, one of Jonathan's kids, but he's not really worth it. We're not really going to waste our time. But what does David say? David says, go get him. Bring him to me. And see, it's a beautiful picture of David saying to his servants, you go get him and bring him to me. Because that's what's happened the day that we receive Christ as our Savior. See, we were living in ignorance at one time, not knowing about our future, not knowing about the plans that God has for us. But God initiated the process and said, I'm going to go find you, and I'm going to bring you to the palace. So we see this picture of David looking for somebody that's lost and saying, I'm going to find you, and I'm going to bring you to the palace. So David sends his staff or his army, and they go and they find Mephibosheth, and they go to his house, and they knock on the door and say, Mephibosheth, the king wants to see you. And I'm sure Mephibosheth's first reaction was, it's over. I'm busted. They're going to kill me. He probably thought, I've spent my entire life hiding. I've spent my entire life broken. I've spent my entire life just hoping nobody would figure out that I was Saul's grandson. And now it's been figured out. And he's probably paranoid, thinking, what are they going to do to me? What are they going to do to me? And so, the, uh, so David's uh, army, they take Mephibosheth, and they take him to the king's palace. And they get him to the king's palace. They go to the front door. Mephibosheth is worried. He's scared. He's laying on the ground, kind of shaken and worried. And David comes out, and what does David, said to him? What does David say to him? He says, don't be afraid. See, that's the king's response. Don't be afraid. I found you because I was looking for you. And now that I found you, don't be afraid. And David said to him, he said, For, for I will surely show you kindness for the sake of your father Jonathan. I will restore to you all the land that belonged to your grandfather Saul, and you will always eat at my table. That's what the king said to Mephibosheth. 
He said, this is what I'm going to do for you. I'm going to restore everything that has been lost to you. I'm going to give you back your land so you can work, and I'm going to let you sit at my table for the rest of your life. You're going to sit at my table, and you're going to have fellowship with a king, and that's what God does when he comes to each person to restore you. He says, I'm going to give you your inheritance, and I'm going to give you fellowship with me. These are two things that the king does for us. That's two things that the king does when he restores people, but it's interesting. Mephibosheth never walked again. Mephibosheth never got the use of his legs again. See, probably at one time it would be safe to assume Mephibosheth probably thought when he was in Lodabar, if I just could walk again, everything would be okay. If I could figure out how to walk again, then I could solve all of the problems that I have in life. And so I'm sure Mephibosheth probably is safe to assume that he probably thought, that's what I need in life. I need in life to be able to walk again. But see, this is the truth. The abundant life is never determined by your ability to walk. Your abundant life is never determined by a physical miracle that you are looking for. Your abundant life is always determined by your forgiveness of sins and sitting with a king at his table. That is the definition of an abundant life, that your sins are forgiven. That your sins are forgiven, and now you can be called righteous. See, Paul tells us in Romans 14, he says, For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. See, Paul says, you focus so much on eating and drinking. You focus on these things that you just have to do every day. What am I going to eat today? What am I going to drink today? What am I going to wear today? Am I going to be able to walk today? Yeah, those are important. God's concerned about them. But look where Paul's emphasis is on. The kingdom of God is righteousness. That's abundance. The kingdom of God is your sins are forgiven and you are righteous before God. That you can sit at the king's table. And you can be in the palace with a king. It doesn't matter if you can't walk again. What matters is you're with a king. And that's the theme of the story of Mephibosheth. God took him out of brokenness. He took him out of barrenness. He took him out of a hopeless situation. And he sat him at the king's table. And that was a quick process. You wake up one morning in hopelessness and you spend the night in the king's palace eating at his table. But sometimes for us, we have to redefine what our perspective is of an abundant life. Because it's kind of easy to say my abundant life would just be if I could walk. Don't need a new car. I just want to walk. But see, what Mephibosheth shows us the right perspective is if you can sit at the king's table. And if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, you are at the king's table. You are living the abundant life. So we go back to the story of the man by the pool of Bethesda, back to John 5. Remember this man, he was sick, and he's laying by the pool, and Jesus says to him, you know, uh, get up. Get up, pick up your mat, and walk. And the guy gets up, and he's healed. 
And a little while later, some people come up to this man and say, hey, you're the guy that once laid by the pool. You're the guy that, that you know, was very sick. How did this happen to you? And the guy's like, I don't know. They're like, well, who did this to you? Who, who performed this miracle for you? And the guy's answer is, I have no idea. That's kind of a surprising thing. You think the sick guy who's been sick for 38 years, suddenly now he's well and he's able to walk away from this pool that he's been going to every single day, that he would say, yeah, this guy named Jesus Christ came and he healed me and now I can walk and I just love Jesus so much. But this guy has absolutely no idea how he got healed. That's not the abundant life. If you get healed but you have no idea who Jesus is. That's not very abundant if you are healed, but you're not at the king's table. But fortunately, Jesus went back to that man. And he found that man. And Jesus revealed himself to that man. And he said to this man a powerful sentence. He says, now you are well. Now you know me. Now you have a relationship with me, so now stop sinning. That's the abundant life when Jesus comes into your life and reveals himself to you and says you are well enough that you don't have to keep sinning because you're at my table. And I've restored to you your inheritance. I've restored to you your future. And I've restored to you your fellowship with me. See, ex the exclamation point in this story is not the man was healed by the side of the pool. The exclamation point in the story is that the man was living in fellowship with Jesus Christ and he knew who Jesus Christ was. See, I love these two stories because it does make us pause and reflect. It makes us stay at times like this when we're wondering, what is Jesus going to do about our situation? It's easy to get caught up in our perspective of what would be Jesus' best plan of action to do for us. It's easy to say, okay, I'm in the situation now. This is what Jesus needs to do for me to make me better. And I think we can totally miss what Jesus wants to do. In the story of Mephibosheth and the story of the man at the pool of Bethesda, help us to realize that Jesus' plan for our life is always the best plan. It might not go as expected. It might not go in our timing, but we know that God's going to work everything together. And it's going to work out good for us. And that's what I want to do in this series. Look at these random stories in the Bible. They're not so random, but stories in the Bible where you really can't figure out why was this guy blind from birth? Or why was this little boy dropped on the steps? Why did these things happen? It's to say, stop looking at why and see what God can do about it. And then you work yourself back and you say, wow, God really is sovereign. God really is in control. God really does know what's going on in my life. God really does have a plan to rescue me, to pull me out of that pit and to set me on a rock. To have that confidence to say, okay, God, you know what? Sometime I look at other people and I know you healed them. I know you restored them. I know you did things in their life. And now I'm going to give you the confidence that I am going to follow you. I'm going to go down that path of restoration that you have for me. 
I'm going to listen to you, Jesus, and I'm going to do the hard and the difficult thing of actually picking up my mat and walking when you tell me to walk. And maybe I won't get everything that I wanted like Mephibosheth. I'm sure he probably still thought, yeah, I'd like to walk. But somewhere in God's great, brilliant, sovereign plan, he said, no, it's better for Mephibosheth this way. And he can still live an abundant life. And that's the confidence I want us to walk away from this series. Uh, We live an abundant life because our sins are forgiven. And that is enough to celebrate. So we have the worship team come up and lead us in the last song. And Father, I do thank you, Father, that you are the God of healing, that God, you can heal a man by a pool. And Lord, you can restore everything to a man but his physical healing, and we give you the glory for both because both are healing. Because ultimately, Lord, we want our sins forgiven and we want to live with you, with you for eternity. And we thank you, Father, how you do order and direct our steps. And I pray that, Lord, for every person here. That we would leave here, Lord, with the confidence today that you are sovereign over our life and that you are control of our life and you know our hurts and our pains. You know our situation from the past. And Lord, you do have an active plan to restore to us what has been lost. We thank you for that, Lord. Help us to leave here with a boldness and a confidence that nothing can separate us from your plan. But help us, Lord, to have the confidence to be able to say, all right, I'll do my part. I'll do my part. Lord, it's so easy for us to just hold on to bitterness and uh, resentments. Lord, help us to be able to give them up to follow you. Father, I do thank you for the great compassion that you say to us. How can I show you my kindness? And Lord, we stand here today and we say thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.